Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, uh, there's not really a new theme uh, in this particular chapter. It's more a continuation of the theme from last week where Paul gets into spiritual warfare. Now, we mentioned this before last week, but I, I, I want to stress it again, is uh, how this topic of spiritual warfare, it's not mentioned in 1 Corinthians. Remember, in 1 Corinthians, especially chapter 3 or everything before chapter 5, in 1 Corinthians, Paul is speaking to babies, okay? Now, it's beautiful to be a baby, but don't stay a baby forever. Everybody's a baby at some point in time, just as the 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 the, the, the natural world uh, exemplifies these things. So too does it in terms of faith and our walk with Christ. We are everybody starts off as a baby, but we mature, we grow, and we uh, uh, have. Uh, remember the gift of the Holy Spirit being knowledge and how he grows us. It's so beautiful to see. But then at the same time, we see the danger of staying a baby. I've said this before, but when I was a kid, there was used to be this store called Toys R Us. They filed chapter 11 already. They're shut down, but there used to be a store called Toys R Us. And around Christmas time, right? Like several months before Christmas times, uh, Christmas time, there used to be the commercials. And part of the words of the song, they say, I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. And that's fine. You know, they have this mentality of, you know, I don't want to grow up. I don't want to grow up. And it's fine for maybe a month, two months. Uh, it's not fine for the long term. That mentality in regards to our faith, it is not healthy and we see the cost that it presented the cost that the toll that it took on the corinthian church the corinthian saints because remember paul says in chapter 3 first corinthians he says i speak like you guys are babies i can't give you solid solid food you guys are still on milk i came with solid uh, with, with milk and you guys are still on milk now time wise that's three years. Remember, the first letter is written th three years after the, the, the church was founded. And then another three years, so a total of six years, Paul writes 2 Corinthians. And now he gets into the topic of spiritual warfare, things of the demonic realm. And remember, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal and are not carnal. They are supernatural. They are spiritual. And that's what we looked at last week in chapter 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. Paul says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And this is how we fight. This is how the Christian fights the saints, the people of the way, the ecclesia, the uh, hagios. This is how we fight supernaturally in the spirit. And what I love about this, when you stretch out 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and you read it as one big timeline, a six-year timeline, you see how these subject matter of spiritual warfare, things of the demonic realm, things of Satan, they're not given to the babies, but they're given to the more mature in Corinth. They're given to the remnant of Corinth. Because remember, the separation has already happened. The leaven has already be, been taken care of. But then at the same time, attacks will come. At any point in time, attacks will come. Satan, he'll try to stop you. At any point in time in your walk with Christ, he will try to stop you. Not just stop you, but he wants to kill you. Remember, he came to kill and destroy. 
He's a murderer from the very beginning. He was a murderer. And he plays cheap. And he doesn't just want to stab you in the heart. He wants to like, you know, chop off things and make you suffer and torture you. He wants to do those things. Now, I know that sounds very um, like, wow, why do you have to say it that way? Well, because I've seen the aftermath of Satan in people's lives. And it's torture. It's devastating. I've seen the aftermath of Satan, things of the demonic realm in people's lives. You see marriages destroyed. You see families destroyed. You see kids destroyed, suicide, drugs, the whole nine yards. Satan plays cheap. He doesn't play fair. You see? And then at the same time, we understand as we get into this subject matter of spiritual warfare, and I love how Paul just breaks it down. He continues to break it down. Remember, he's speaking to the remnant, a more mature church, not the babies like we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul starts off here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Paul says, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. I love this. I love this. Oh, that you would... Put up with me is what he's saying to the saints of Corinth, the more mature, the remnant. He says, you guys, I, 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 I want you to put up with me in a little folly. And this folly translates as foolishness, egotism, recklessness. And I love this because you see the humanity of Paul. Yes, he's human. He's human. Remember, for every single one of us, we are in a corrupt state right now as we wear these earth suits. We're in a corrupt state, but there is coming a time when the corrupt will put on incorruption, when the mortal will put on immortality. That's a future event. It's not now. For the right here, for the right now, we deal with the things of the carnal nature. We, uh, and, and I say deal with it. I don't mean like deal with it, like put up with it. I mean deal with it like fight. Remember, there are several aspects of fight, kinetic and non-kinetic warfare. There's the internal fight, and then there's the external fight. And when I say internal fight, that means you and me, we're in the same boat, you and me applying the word of God in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts, in our walk, in the works of our hands, the steps of our feet, you and me applying the word of God to our lives and in our lives. Now, that would be, you know, like uh, having a clean mind. So many times people say, oh, I have to repent. I committed this. I have to repent. I did this. Well, wait a second. You know, it's beautiful to repent because of things that have been done or things that have been said. But don't forget, what about the mind? What about the mind of a man, the mind of a woman? When the Bible teaches us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, that everything, whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy, you and me, we are the ones to meditate on these things. So remember, anytime somebody, you know, even you and me, if we repent for the things we've done, the things we've said, let's, let's, let's go to the root of the matter. Why were those things done? Why were those things said? Well, what about the mind of a man, the mind of a woman? You see? Let us be a people that meditates on these things, meditates on the things that are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. Now, if your mind, if you permit and allow your mind to go off into crazy town, you're losing the fight. Remember, 
the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're spiritual. So many times people say, oh, I want to go to, I want to fight. I want to fight the good fight. I want to be a warrior for Christ. I want to, you know, I want to do all these things. I want to go into ministry. I want to be a warrior for Christ. And those are beautiful ambitions and beautiful goals and beautiful desires. But first, first, there are things that need to be applied inside of us, you and me individually. Paul says in the pastoral epistles, he says, don't use a novice. Don't use a novice, a new believer, because they're babies. You see, it's not to say that being a baby is a bad thing. Being a baby is an incredibly beautiful thing. But even the natural world testifies of the fact that babies grow up, they mature. And when you come into maturity, reckoning the old man dead, reckoning the old woman dead, you carry your cross, you are crucified with Christ. That's why so many people say, oh, I am crucified with Christ. I am crucified with Christ, which is a biblical truth that, you know, there there is a verse where Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. And you hear us mention all the time, that is Paul. That is Paul saying that he is crucified with Christ. Because in order for Paul to be crucified with Christ, what has he done? He has reckoned his old man dead, his old nature dead. He has meditated on those things which are praiseworthy, virtuous, of good report, lovely, pure, just, noble, and true. He has brought every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Obedience in his mind. He's new wineskin. He's no longer old wineskin. He is new wineskin and the new wine has been filled up inside of him. And in that regard, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. You know, sometimes people say, I'm crucified with Christ too. And it's like, wait a second, let's look at the fruit. How come you're going to the strip clubs? How come you're doing your drugs? How come you're doing your crack? How come you're doing your alcohol? How come you're doing your occult? How come you're cheating on your taxes? How come you're doing your little white lies? Your little white lies, your little white crack, your little white pornography. Why are you doing those things? You say you're crucified with Christ, but let me tell you something, brother. Let me tell you something, sister. I do not see crucifixion. I do not see crucifixion. You say, wait a second, who? what makes you the arbiter of these things? I'm just the messenger. That's what the Bible teaches us. You and me, we're in the same boat. We're in the same boat. And so there's a huge danger behind babies going into battle. There's a huge danger behind even adolescents going into battle because we first have to battle inside of us. That's the internal battle. But the external battle, that's where the danger lies. When we say, okay, I'm going to do this spiritual warfare. I'm going to go and and go on the offense and I'm going to attack. Wait a second. If you're not spiritually prepared, if you're a novice, if you're a baby, if you're a, a, a spiritual adolescent, that's very dangerous. Very dangerous. And we see that in the book of Acts. We see Paul mentioning that in the pastoral epistles, giving wisdom and uh, to uh, uh, Pastor Timothy and Pastor Titus. There are biblical qualifiers, and I love how this is entirely, entirely applicable and usable for the saints of God in the church of Corinth. But these things of spiritual warfare, they are not mentioned in 1 Corinthians. They are not mentioned in 1 Corinthians because first, the Lord needs to clean house in Corinth. 
And how does he clean house? He uses Vessel Paul, Vessel Chloe, Vessel Titus, Vessel Silas, Vessel Timothy, you see? Priscilla and Achilla. He uses his vessels. You know, a lot of times people say, you know, you know, let's just love on these people and let God take care of the rest. Which is unbiblical. Unbiblical. Because biblically, when God takes care of something, he uses his vessels. Old Testament and New Testament, he uses his vessels. Now, when he actually uh, bypasses his vessels and does it himself, I mean, he does it himself through his vessels, but when he does it himself outside of his vessels, the majority of times in the Bible, 98% of the time, it's judgment and wrath. Biblically, Old Testament, New Testament. Remember, God is the same. He never changes. We have to understand these things. These things, these topic, this subject matter of spiritual warfare, things of the demonic, demonology and Satanism. It's for the remnant. It's for the more mature. You see? And so Paul says, bear with me in a little folly. And indeed, you do bear with me. Verse 2, he says this, for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. Now, that's not a bad thing at all. That's not a bad thing at all. Because you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the, the heart of our Lord. Remember, we serve a jealous God. We serve a jealous God. He doesn't want you or me to worship him and then go and worship Buddha. He doesn't want you or me to worship him and then go and pray to Mary. He doesn't want us to worship him and then go and seek the Hare Krishnas. No, he's a jealous God. And this is so beautiful because you see the heart of Paul. For for the saints, you see the heart of Paul caring for the saints. And the heart of Paul has transformed to that of our Lord. Paul is also jealous. You see, Paul's heart has become like that of our Lord's. And that can be said of you and me when you and me yield to the Lord and yield to the word of God. It's all supernaturally. It's it's supernatural. It's the Lord that does the work. He says, I'm jealous for you with godly jealousy. In verse 2, he continues and says, For I have betrothed you to one husband. You see? Which is to betroth, it's to woo and to join with. Betroth you to one husband. You say, wait a second, what are you talking about? One husband? Well, do you remember our study in Romans? Do you remember our study in Romans? Turn with me really quick to Romans chapter 7. And in Romans chapter 7, it is written in verse 4. Paul wrote this. He says, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him, you see, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. I love this so much because it's the better marriage. The better marriage is you unto Jesus Christ. You as a uh, 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 the, the bride waiting for the bridegroom, you see. And remember, to say bride, it's very forward-looking because the marriage hasn't happened yet. But yet, at the same time, we have this great hope that burns within, inside of us, within our hearts, awaiting the marriage to the bridegroom, the better marriage. 
Just as with Ruth and Boaz. Boaz was the better marriage. Ruth's second marriage was unto Boaz, the better husband. But in order for that marriage to happen, marriage to husband number one, he had to die. The husband had to die. You see, that's what's so beautiful about death. And remember, beautiful in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. You see? And so we see this being taught in the Old Testament through Ruth and even Ruth herself. You know, marriage number one, husband dies. Marriage number two, Boaz, a type of Christ, the better husband, the better marriage. That's our marriage. That's my marriage. That's your marriage unto Jesus Christ. You might be single right now. You might be married right now. But as is testified in the Old Testament in the book of Ruth, that's the better marriage unto Christ. Ruth unto Boaz is you unto Christ, the better husband, as we, a people of the way, look forward to the marriage unto the bridegroom. You see, I've had men tell me before, don't you feel weird referring to yourself as a bride? Doesn't it feel weird to you that we're going to be married to Jesus Christ? No, not at all. Not at all. Because remember, in Christ, there's no male, female, slave, free, rich, poor. It doesn't matter. Unity in Christ. One in Christ. Now, in accordance to sound doctrine, because what's happening right now is you have all these people saying, they're crying out, church unity, 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 unity. And I'm all for unity. But my question is this, unity into what? Unity into what? It must be sound doctrine because I don't want unity with grave soakers. I don't want unity with people saying it's okay to take the mark of the beast. I don't want unity with, you know, the, the people who have, uh, uh, they do the, uh, they do the grave soaking. They say it's okay to take the mark of the beast. They want unity with Rome in accordance to Mary, in accordance to the Queen of Heaven. I don't want unity with the, the transubstantiation. I don't want unity with that. And I don't want you to have unity with that. Paul even says, it's still in the book of Romans, but in in Romans chapter 16, he says in verse 17, he says, now I urge you, brethren, this is Romans 16, verse 17. He says, now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. You see, you have people nowadays saying, unity, unity, at all costs, unity, Protestants joining with uh, Lutherans, Protestants, the, the Christians joining, churches joining with the Catholics, Christians joining with uh, the Episcopals. They're all joining together and they're saying church unity, church unity. But this is one of the signs of the last days. Unity into what? It's all leading towards the apostasy, the prophesied apostasy, which is coming and is here now, and it will get worse. Remember, there are four categories of the last day's church. It is the, the last day's church is either false, apostate, entering apostasy, or it is true. Those are the four categories of the last day's church. Now, the only way you will know is when you have knowledge of the word of God. Be a Berean. Study the word of God. Be a Berean because you could listen to a sermon, listen to the guy speak, 
Or I could say, listen to the ladies speak. Now, wait a second. You say, well, how can ladies teach? Ladies can teach. Ladies can teach. Females cannot be pastors or elders. Biblically, pastors or elders, that is male. Always male. A lot of churches today, they're, 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 they're having, they, they introducing these new rules to their church and they say, well, you know, we're going to now allow women to be pastors and allow women to be elders. And then they base their decision based on the Me Too movement. They base it on liberalism. They say, well, in church history, here are the female leaders in the, in church history. And then they refer to nuns. They refer to Catholic people. Wait a second. Catholicism is not Christianity. Catholicism is not Christianity. They cite all these teachers. They say, well, in accordance to this teacher, wait a second. In a, you know, John Piper says this. John Piper's replacement theology. You see? Contrary to the doctrine. Why am I going to accept that? But yet, because you have baby Christians, you might have some adolescents, but the majority of baby Christians, what do they do? They buy it hook, line, and sinker. As prophesied in the last days, these things must happen. But not so with the remnant. The remnant is fully aware, wide awake, and prepared. Remember, biblical preparedness for the last days is to store your oil. Store your oil because lamps will go dark in the last days. And we already see it happening now. Lamps are going dark. Why? Because people are running out of oil. You see? People are running out of oil and it's going to get darker and darker and darker and darker. Except not so with the remnant. You must be a Berean. You must be a lover of truth. And so we see what happens when, when Paul makes mention of his godly jealousy in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 2 he says for i have betrothed you to one husband he's speaking about christ his betrothing of the saints of corinth not just of corinth but of ephesus philippi individuals saints families all these people the church is pouring his heart out his life out for the sake of the church he says to to one husband that i may present you as a chaste virgin to christ i love this so much a chaste virgin to christ the bridegroom the saints of corinth as uh, chaste virgins and chaste virgins here is clean pure innocent and a perfect maiden chaste virgins unto christ you say, wait a second, I've committed all this sin. Look, my heart is filthy. My mind is filthy. I've done all this sin. Well, then you need your sin to be washed by the blood of the lamb. You might be filthy right now, but you can be clean today. You can be clean in 10 minutes. You can be clean in 20 minutes. You can be clean. What does it require? Repentance. Believe in Jesus Christ and repent. And if that's you, if you're a non-believer and you're listening, hit pause and listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. And you commit your life to Jesus Christ. And then you come back and you listen. If you're playing games with the Lord, if you're lukewarm, you hit pause and you recommit your life to Jesus Christ and don't play games with him anymore. Go and sin no more. Now, 
We're always going to have sin in our lives, but we're going to sin less and less and less and less. Why? Because we're maturing together in Christ. We're in the same boat. The same fight I encourage you in is the same fight that I am in and I have to engage in. We're in the same boat. That's Paul's desire. That I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. You see? And so we see here, and Paul says in verse 3, but I fear. Very interesting what we see Paul revealing in his own heart. Phobia is what this word translates. Phobia is in the Greek, but it's to be afraid. What, what is your phobia? You know, nowadays all the psychologists, they say all these, they list all these phobias. And Paul is revealing his fear. I fear. Paul, what is your fear? He says here, lest somehow, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. Deceived here is to entirely seduce. As the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, his trickery and prowess is how that translates. Trickery and prowess. And he says to the saints of Corinth, he says to the remnant of Corinth, in this same manner as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You see? In the mind. The battle that happens inside of our mind. And in this battle that happens inside of our mind, Paul's fear is that the craftiness, through the craftery, through the craftiness and trickery and prowess of the serpent, the same way he seduced Eve and entirely seduced Eve, so he can do to you and so he can do to me. Inside of our minds. Forget, forget for a moment the works of the hands and the steps of the feet, the, the actual act of sin. Forget that for a moment. Look at where Satan goes. He goes to the mind. You see? Before he uses the feet, before he uses the hand, he goes to the mind. But what happens to the mind that is so rendered unto Christ? You see? In complete and total surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, what happens to such a mind? We fight. You see? Satan corrupts. Satan corrupts. And when a mind has been given over to Satan, things of the demonic, that's when the aftermath, that's when the fruit of those things are made evident. I should say the bad fruit, the nasty fruit, the rotten fruit, the dead fruit, the works of the flesh. And it gets uglier and uglier and uglier and uglier. Oh, but once saved, always saved. I did the altar call when I was 10 years old, so I'm good to go. I did the altar call when I was 15 years old, so I'm good to go. Once saved, always saved. Well, let's address that really quick. I say this all the time, and I'm going to keep saying it all the time. Turn with me to Luke chapter 8. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus Christ gives an example of a seed that falls on the rock. And in Luke 8 verse 13, he says, But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, so you have ears, people hear. They receive the word with joy. Wow, praise the Lord, they're full of joy. And these have no root, which presents a problem. Which presents a problem. These have no root. You know why they have no root? 
Because they're babies. That's why they, I mean, what baby has is firmly planted in the ground. You see? A baby is not firmly planted in the ground. I mean, you look at a, a, ba- a freshly born baby, fresh out of the womb, and you look at a 20-year-old adult. You say, well, the 20-year-old is firmly planted. He can stand on his two legs. He can, she can stand on her two legs. She can walk. She can run. The guy can walk. She can run. But the baby can't do that. Why? They have no root. They have to, how can they have root? They have to grow. They have to mature. But the same could be said of in the church, among the saints. These have no root. And what happens as a result of having no root? Who believe for a while. You see? They believe for a while. As surely as the Lord lives, I want you to believe to the very end. Say, why don't you want me to believe in eternity? You won't have to. You won't have to because you'll see Jesus Christ face to face. To be absent from the body is to be present with, with the Lord. And I want you to believe for the rest of your life until your last dying breath. Never stop believing. But what does the Bible, what does our Lord himself say right here? That the ones who have no root, they believe for a while and in time of temptation, they fall away, he says. They fall away. What does the Bible prophecy in the last days? There will be a great falling away. Oh, but once saved, always saved. It's impossible for me to fall away. Wrong. It is entirely possible. And it is prophesied. A great falling away. A defection away from truth. A rejection of truth. You and me, we must be lovers of truth. No matter how much it hurts, we must be lovers of truth. Because... Don't forget about the strong delusion, which is also prophesied. Strong delusion. It's from the Lord. A people, because they have no love of the truth, the Lord will give them strong delusion. You see, it's coming. It's here. We see aspects of it in our lives already. Among people you know, family, friends, churches, other saints, other Christians, you see it. Strong delusion. I've talked to non-believers. I've talked to Satanists and atheists and Luciferians. And they're all in agreement. Wow, what's happening in this world? Everything's going crazy. Even the Satanists can see it. Even the agnostic can see it. The world is going to crazy town. Because it is prophesied to happen. And what does the Lord Jesus Christ say? Remember, he's the one who says... I tell you these things before they happen so that when they do happen, you might believe. Those are the words of our Lord. That's how much he loves you. He's preparing us for the last days. He has prepared even the non-believer for the last days. If you're a non-believer and you've wondered, how come this world is so crazy? You know, I've all I've knew, known these Christians my whole life, and I think they're crazy. It's kind of a nice guy, nice lady, and I think they're crazy. 
but I look in the world, you know, everybody wants me to get the shot and, you know, everybody, you know, the finances are going crazy, the, the inflation's going crazy and people are all bent up about politics and wow, there's, you know, global warming is on the rise and all this craziness is happening and there's just people crazy, you know, a, a guy chops off a lady's head in the United States and what in the world is happening? Everybody's on crack, everybody's doing their drugs, everybody's having sex. What in the world is happening? The Lord Jesus Christ, he gave you a message 2,000 years ago and the message rings ever clear today. He says, I, tell, I said these things before they happen so that when they happen, you might believe. If you're a non-believer, don't be unbelieving, but be believing and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Like I like to say to people, I don't care who, male, female, young, old, I don't care whatever background, get in the ark, take my hand, join me in this ark. And when I say ark, it's a capital A and I speak of Jesus Christ. Get in the boat, get in the ark because judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And every time in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, every time in the Bible, prior to God's judgment, you always see God's mercy, His love, and His grace. Always. Before judgment came to Egypt, what do you see? God saved Egypt through Joseph, through the famine. The problem was Egypt forgot the Lord. You see? The same can be said in this last day's generation. God's grace, His mercy, and His love is extended to you if you're a non-believer. It is extended to you. If you're a believer, praise be to the Lord. Continue to abide in Christ. But if you're a non-believer, don't be unbelieving anymore. Yes, the world is crazy. Yes, absolutely, the world is crazy. You say, I can't believe because these Christians are crazy. I went to this church and the pastor had sex with, the, he was a youth leader and he had sex with a teenage girl. I can't go here because the pastor, he, he did all this extortion with the church funds. I'm in complete and total agreement with you. He should be in prison. He should never have been in ministry. He should be in prison. And if he doesn't repent, he will burn in hell. I'm in complete and total agreement with you. I've heard that argument all the time. I can't be a Christian because look, this pastor, he's a hypocrite. He says to live like this, but he himself does the sex. He does the drugs. He goes to the strip clubs. He's a gambler. He does all these things. I look at his kids and all of his kids want to commit suicide and he calls himself a pastor. Yes, I'm in agreement with you. He should have never been a pastor. And if he doesn't repent, he will burn in hell. But he has his choice to make. And he's made his choice. But I speak to you. You make your choice. Do you remember Peter? When the Lord Jesus Christ was having a conversation with Peter. Beautiful, beautiful Peter. And he says, Peter, do you love me? He asked him three times. Peter, do you love me? Remember, Peter denied the Lord three times. And the Lord asked Peter three times. Do you love me? Finally, Peter was like, Lord, you know, like... You know, he says, feed my sheep, tend my sheep. 
Peter says, well, what about this guy? What about this guy over here? The Lord says, who cares? I'm paraphrasing. But the Lord says, who cares? Whatever I want to do with that guy, that's between me and him. He says, Peter, I'm talking to you. If you're a non-believer, based on the behaviors of other Christians, I fully understand. Because Christians are crazy sometimes. It is prophesied. Judgment comes first in the house of God. God's judgment comes first to the house of God. What do you think the church is going to look like in the last days? The church must be crazy town. You see? Just the fact that if you're a non-believer, if you're a non-believer because of what you see in the church today, what you see in the church today is prophesied to happen because judgment comes first in the house of God. Yes, I see a lot of craziness in the churches today. You say, what about this guy? What about this guy? What about this pastor? What about this Christian? Listen to me. That's between them and the Lord. And if they've committed whatever sin it is, whatever sin it is, if they die without repentance unto the Lord and committing their life to Jesus Christ, they will burn in hell. But I'm speaking to you. I'm speaking to you. What are you going to do with Jesus Christ? Reject him? Or will you accept him as Lord and Savior? I praise the latter. I desire the latter. And I desire for you and me together to be in this ark together. And we can grow and mature in Christ together. And if that's you, you hit pause and you commit your life to Jesus Christ. Listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. And then you come back and listen. We're living in very, very crazy times. It is prophesied to happen. And we go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And Paul mentions his fear in verse 3 in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says in verse 3, But I fear lest somehow the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Notice, you know, I'll be straight up. It's really pretty simple. (laughs) It's really pretty simple walking with Christ and abiding in Christ. It's really pretty simple. Satan is the one who likes to complicate things. His workers like to complicate things. But it's really quite simple. There is simplicity in Christ. Remember Philip? When Philip was the evangelist, Philip was evangelizing and he came across the Ethiopian eunuch. And the eunuch asked him point blank, Philip, what? What's stopping me? If this is the case, what's stopping me from being baptized? And Philip said, Well, nothing a minute if you believe with all your heart and let's handle business. Let's do it. Let's get let's get off this. Let's get off this uh this uh this little buggy. Let's get off this little buggy and here, let me baptize you in the water. And the eunuch was baptized right there. Right there. Remember our study in the book of Acts? Philip, what's stopping me, Philip? What's stopping me, Philip? Nothing. If you believe with all your heart, nothing. You see? And I love that so much because the eunuch didn't say, Hey, Philip, what's stopping me? And Philip didn't say, Okay, well, first you have to memorize the catechism. 
First, you have to memorize. Here, here's a little booklet. You have to memorize everything in this little booklet. Why complicate it? Why make it difficult? People get mad at me. They say, oh, that's easy believism, easy believism. How dare you do easy believism? But let me ask you a question. What's so hard about believing? What's so hard about believing? Nothing. Where do you see the catechisms being presented in the Bible? Never. You don't. So why do people do it today? Why? I, I mean, I've posed this question to pastors. Why is it that, you know, somebody's a believer, a brand new believer, or desires to believe, and you make them memorize this, these catechisms? Why, why is it that you do that? They say, well, you know, we want to make sure that people know what they're doing. They want to, we want to make sure that people know exactly what they're getting into, understand what they're, listen, when I first believed, I had no idea, I didn't know what I, what to expect. Who, who knows what to expect about tomorrow? Who knows what to expect about 20 minutes from right now? Who knows what to expect about next week, next year? You might have a, a heart attack in five minutes. Who knows what to expect? You, you might be in a hospital bed in two days. Who knows what to expect about tomorrow? You never see in the Bible people complicating God's vessels, God's servants, complicating belief in Christ. But what you do see is a baby believer fresh out of the womb, receiving the word of God, feeding on the word of God, being taught the word of God and babies growing and maturing in Christ. And you see the Lord being the chief cornerstone in the life of a baby. And you see stone by stone by stone by stone by stone being erected in the heart of God's people. Maturity in Christ. I know pastors. I know pastors who know the Bible like the back of their hands. And then I know little tiny baby Christians who I see more righteousness in the lives of these little tiny baby Christians because although they don't know the Bible like this pastor, I'm doing my air quotes, this so-called pastor, the little tiny baby Christian applies the Bible to her life, to his life. Better is that soul. It is worse off for the pastor who knows the Bible like the back of his hand, Genesis to Revelation, the pastor who knows the Bible like the back of his hand and refuses to apply it in his life. That's judgment. That's not good. You see? You say, but there's all this hypocrisy in the church today. It is prophesied to happen. It is prophesied to happen. God's judgment comes first in the church. God's judgment is coming into the world. It's coming into the world, but it comes first inside the church because the Lord cleans house. You see? There is simplicity in Christ. And it's so beautiful to see the simplicity that's in Christ and learning from the word of God in a simple manner, without complication. You see, learning the word of God, understanding the word of God, being babies in Christ, we grow and we mature. And we go just like in the natural world. You know, you have a kid who's preschool, goes into Kindergarten, first grade, second, third, fourth, fifth, higher learning, higher education. I'm not advocating higher education in the ways of Adam. 
but I am advocating higher education in the ways of Christ. Learning from his word, you and me together, yielding to the word and yielding to the Holy Spirit. And this is, this is the danger in verse four. For if he who comes, so this is he who comes, who is this person? Who is this harmful person who's coming? If he who comes preaches, so number one, he's a preacher guy. He's a preacher. Oh, preachers are godly. Preachers are godly. Listen to this guy. Listen to what he has to say. He's a preacher. Look what it said here. Preaches another Jesus, a different Jesus. Don't forget, when the disciples asked Jesus Christ, Lord, what is the sign of your coming? He says, false teachers, false prophets will come. And there will be another. There will be. Uh, there will be a, 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 another Jesus. They will be presenting other Jesus, another Jesus, another Christ, false Christs. Now, in order for that prophecy to come to pass, what must we see in the world today? What must we see in the church today? False preachers, false teachers, false prophets. Now. Since Jesus Christ prophesied that that was a sign of his coming, and since in order for that to come to pass, we must see that in the church today. And now let us observe what we see in the church today. What do we see? You see? He goes on to continue in verse 4. If he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit... A different spirit. Remember, these are prophesied to happen. Which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. He's saying that to the remnant, a more mature remnant in Corinth. He's saying, you guys, you might even put up with it. Oh, let's just love on these people. That's a very popular mentality in the church today. Let's just love on these people and let God take care of the rest. That's the baby mentality. The baby mentality. Because who can come in those doors? A preacher guy. A preacher guy who speaks of a different Jesus in accordance with a different spirit, in accordance with a different gospel. You might well put up with it, Corinth. The same could be said of churches today. You might well put up with it. You exercise these gifts of the Spirit, which is beautiful, but at the same time, if there's no wisdom, there has to be wisdom. We're called to be loving. We're called to be gracious. We're called to be merciful as our Lord is those things as well. But we're never called to be stupid. And what do you see in the church today? Stupidity. Stupidity. And I say that with all due respect to the Lord because it's His church, but these things are prophesied to happen. Stupidity. Babies. You know, it's you, you take a baby, a freshly born baby. Say he's three months old. That three-month-old baby. And you stick him in a chair. And he's in a chair in the calculus class. And you say, okay, class, we're going to have a test today. You have to, if you, if, you, if you do this calculus, you have to pass with the 90%. And if you don't, you fail. You fail. Now, who is the fool? 
You could say, well, okay, the the baby's stupid, but there's a there's a reason. He he hasn't grown. He hasn't matured. He doesn't even know what kind. He doesn't even know how to hold a pencil. He can barely, you know, you put him on the chair, you stick him on the chair. He can't even sit straight. He's practically falling off. So yes, there's a there's an element of foolishness there. But who's the greater fool? Who's the greater fool? You see? And I blame the pastors. I look at, you know, we look at pews today. We look at churches today. You look at the pews. Yes, there's a there's an element of responsibility in the pews. People who refuse to be Bereans, and they are not Bereans, which is very dangerous. But I look at the pews today, and you don't you see more babies in the pews today. But I blame the pastors. I now I look to the pulpit, and I blame the pulpit. I blame the pastors. Why aren't you teaching sound doctrine? Why aren't you teaching the word of God so that these babies don't stay babies, pastor? Why is it? You call yourself a pastor. Why is it that you say it's okay to take the mark of the beast and that person will still be saved? Why do you teach that to babies, pastor? Since that is unbiblical, by what spirit do you teach, pastor? Why is it, pastor, that you say, okay, let's go grave soaking right now? Why is that, Pastor? Since that is anathema to Christ, anathema and abomination to the Lord. By what spirit do you say those things? Pastor? Why is it, Pastor, that you teach replacement theology? That God is done with Israel when according to the prophecies and according to the promises of the Lord and according to the prophets, remember the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. By what spirit do you say such things? By what spirit do you teach such things? Thus fulfilling what we see in verse 4. If he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. What do we see among babies and the, uh, uh, even the uh, adolescents in Christ? What do we see among them today? They well put up with it. They well put up with it. Oh yeah, this guy has a study Bible. So what if he says it's okay to take the mark of the beast? No big deal. No big deal. That's setting a trap. Right at the finish line, it's setting a trap. Right at the finish line, it's like having a, a big, huge pit. So that you could never cross the finish line. Oh, but once saved, always saved. We already established it. We, we already covered that. The short-term believer who believes for a while and in time of temptation is has fallen away. You see? By what spirit do such people say these things? By, by what spirit do such, I'm doing my air quotes here, pastors say such things? It's not the spirit of the Lord. Because the Spirit of the Lord guides in truth. Truth. Sound doctrine. You see? Paul continues here. Paul continues here. In, remember, he says in verse 1, Bear, put up with me in a little folly. And me personally, I'll just echo the words of Paul. And I beg of you, bear with me in a little folly. 
In verse 5, he says, For I consider that I am not at all inferior or less important to the most eminent apostles. He's not being prideful at all. But he's just saying, I consider that I'm not at all inferior or less important to the most eminent apostles. He says, even though I am untrained in speech, untrained here, it's one of my favorite words in the Greek. You know what it is? Idiotes. Idiotes, it's to be ignorant, rude, and unlearned. He says, even though I am untrained in speech, a lot of untrained people, not just in speech, but a lot of untrained people in knowledge in the pulpits today. Not with the remnant, though. The remnant is different. Paul says, yes, I'm untrained in speech. But he says in verse 6, yet I am not in knowledge. I am not in knowledge. Meaning what? Paul is knowledgeable. Which is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Not the greatest gift, but a gift indeed of the Holy Spirit. I am not in knowledge. I might be an idiotes in speech, he says, but I'm not an idiotes when it comes to knowledge. I might be unlearned when it comes to speech. I might not have all the big words. I might not use all the, you know, big fanciful words. But when it comes to knowledge, I'm not unlearned when it comes to knowledge. Remember Paul says, bear with me in a little folly. He continues in verse 6 and says, Yet I'm not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. We have been thoroughly made apparent. Paul has been an open book. Paul has been an open book. Remember our study in Acts 18 when Paul comes into town, his little holy bubble, his little entourage, his little holy bubble. He has his people with him, future pastors, future elders, future ministry leaders. And in that little bubble, they walk into Corinth. Paul joins up with Priscilla and Aquila. He goes in. That was customary for him to go into the synagogue and reason with the Jews. It was customary for him. He has little Timothy with him. He goes and engages. People become Christians. They believe. They receive the Lord as their Lord and Savior. They commit their lives to Jesus Christ. The same way you have. And they grow. They see Paul. But they remember that in seeing Paul, it's not just, okay, I see Paul. They've seen the work of his hands. They've seen the walk of his feet, the steps of his feet. They don't see Paul going to the strip clubs. I don't want to sound uh, abrasive in saying that, but what they don't see, they don't see Paul going into the strip clubs. They don't see Paul doing their, his crack. They don't see Paul doing, you know, alcohol. They see Paul waking up in the morning, making his tents, everything on the up and up. He's not stealing material so that he can go and sell it. They don't see the works of the flesh. They see Paul waking up in the morning, buying his material, making tents, going into the marketplace, selling his tents. Okay, that's done. He sells his tents. He has proceeds. He feeds his little bubble that's with him. He feeds them. He provides for them. And then it comes time for synagogue. He goes into the synagogue with little Timothy. And he teaches, he engages with the Jews. Reasons with the Jews proclaiming Christ. You see, both Jew and Greek, they become Christians. 
Gentile Jew and Gentile together becoming believers in Jesus Christ. And the church grows in Corinth. But they see we, th this bubble of Paul been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. They don't see hypocrisy in Paul. They don't see the things of the carnal nature in Paul or his bubble. They don't see it. It's not there. So when Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, absolutely, indeed, he is crucified with Christ. But you don't see that today among the pastors. You don't see that today among the elders. You see pastors themselves who are the sex heads, the drug heads, the alcoholics, doing the Ouija boards, the occult. That's what you see today. But in order for the prophecy to come to pass of God's judgment befalling the earth, you know, the 70th week of Daniel, before those things come to pass, the church has to be a mess. Prophetically speaking, the church has to be a mess. What do we see in the church today? A mess. You see? Straight up prophecy being fulfilled. But with Paul and his this holy bubble, in verse 6 he says, We've been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. In all things. You've seen how I work. You've seen how I do the tents, how I make the tents. I buy the material, I make the tents, and yeah, you know, I'm with Priscilla and Aquila. They were also tent makers. I'm with Priscilla and Aquila. I stay with them. They learn. They join me in my little bubble. I go and sell my tents. The proceeds, they help feed the this bubble, the, you know, Timothy, Titus, Silas. If they feed the little bubble, it provides for us. You see me reason in the synagogue. You see me go to church. You see me exhort the saints. You've seen me. It's been thoroughly manifested among you. You don't see the works of the flesh in Paul or his bubble. You don't see things of the carnal nature. What Paul is doing here, he's explaining not just his qualifications, but exerting his authority to the remnant of Corinth. Remember his fear, his phobia, is that the serpent is going to enter the church with presenting, you know, the, 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 the serpent is going to enter the church in the form of a preacher. And this preacher is going to present another Jesus, a different spirit, and a different gospel. And his fear is that the saints, the remnant, will put up with it. You say, well, but they're more mature. They're more mature. They still, they still can fall. They still might, they might well put up with it. After all this, they might well put up with it. But the same can be said of us. 
Remember, yes, we are indeed called to be loving, gracious, and merciful, but we're never anywhere in the Bible are the messengers of the Lord or the, the servants of the Lord or any of God's people. Never are we called to be stupid. Wisdom. Remember, wisdom cries out from the rooftops. But when wisdom isn't heeded, wisdom laughs. I don't want to make wisdom laugh. I don't want, to, I don't want you to make wisdom laugh. I want you and me together to say to understanding, you are my nearest kin. To say to understanding, you are my sister. To say of wisdom, you are my nearest kin. Not a lot of wisdom in the church today. Look at the state of the church today. Remember, Paul is the one. Is Paul boasting here? Not at all. It might seem like it. But yet he says, bear with me, guys, in a little bit of folly. Bear with me, guys, in a little bit of foolishness. A little bit of egotism, a little bit of recklessness. Just bear with me in this brief moment of folly. Remember, it wasn't said to the baby Christians in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's said to the more mature. I fear that you guys might put up with it. The grave soakers, I feel that you guys might put up with it. People who, the, the so-called pastors who say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast and your salvation is still in good, good standing, you guys might put up with it. The people who teach replacement theology, you guys might well put up with it. You see? The kingdom now, the kingdom now people, you guys might well put up with it. But yet we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. You've seen how I conduct myself, he says. You've seen it with your own eyes. Am I lying to you? Am I lying to you? Did you, I mean, did you not see? Like, Where did you see me do any of these things that are of the flesh, Paul is saying? We've been thoroughly manifested among you. He says in verse 7, Did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted? Remember our study in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 when he says to the Christians, when he says to the saints, yes, they were still babies. They were still babies. And he says, you guys are already rich. But us, this little bubble, we're the scum of the earth. We're the scum of the earth. And we had the exhortation for all of us to make the distinction between field and worker. You are God's field, he says to Corinth. But of the workers, he says, we're the scum of the earth. Verse 7, did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted, that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? No, no charge. Was I committing sin in doing that? Free of charge. Turn with me really quick to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, a little refresher course. And Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 9, in verse 11, he says, If we have sown spiritual things to you, it is, a, is it a great thing if, if we reap your material things? Now, he's speaking about, you know, the, the ox is worthy of his wages. Ox in the Old Testament likens to a pastor, a teacher, ministry leader, the ox. An ox is worthy of his wages. He's referring to... Yes, it is biblical for pastors to be supported by the church financially. Is it a great thing if we reap your material things? It is biblical. 
But yet Paul says this in verse 12, nevertheless, we have not used this right. Yes, it is biblical, you know, support the ministry, you know, that pastors, their wages are based on the tithes and offering. Yes, it is biblical. But then at the same time, Paul says, I don't want it. I don't want it. We have used, we have not used this right. In verse 15, he says, I have used none of these things. I don't want it, he says. You see? Why? Why doesn't he want it? It is biblical. Yes, it is biblical, but he doesn't want it. Why? He says in verse 18, what is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge that I might not abuse my authority in the gospel. Pastors, did you catch that? Pastors, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. Paul's presenting the gospel of Christ free of charge. You see, I've used none of these things, he says. We have not used this right, he says. And that's what Paul is referring to in 2 Corinthians when he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7, Did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? Was I in sin, Paul is asking? He says in verse 8, I robbed other churches. I robbed other churches, he says. Now, remember, you say, well, was Paul a thief? Did he break into the treasury? No, not at all. Remember, he says, I, 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 bear with me in a little folly, in a little egotism, recklessness, and foolishness. Remember, he says, church, bear with me. And he says, indeed, you do bear with me in verse 1. He says, I robbed other churches in verse 8 taking wages from them. This translates as a soldier's rations. I don't like that word soldier, so I'll just say the word warrior. Taking warrior's wages from them. Why? To minister to you. That's why. To minister to you. That's the reason why. In verse 9, And when I was present with you, and in need, you see, what is so beautiful about this is that Paul is exposing a little bit of something that was previously undisclosed. He was in need. When I was present with you and in need, what was it? Did he need money? Did he need food? Did he need clothing? All of the above. And yet he says, I was a burden to no one. I was a burden to no one. You see? Remember my little exhortation to pastors? Just when we read 1 Corinthians chapter 9 in verse 18, when Paul says, you know, that he may present the gospel free of charge, he says that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. But I have another message for pastors. If you're not a pastor, just cover your ears for a moment. Here's my message message to pastors. Suck it up. Suck it up. Look at what, men- what Paul mentions here in verse 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 9. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. So you say, wait a second. So Paul doesn't ask money of the Corinthians, but he asked money of the Macedonians. No, he didn't. 
because what was given by the Macedonians was completely 100% organic. 100% organic. It was a work of the Lord. Remember when the Macedonian example that we studied several weeks ago and the Macedonians who were poor, very, very poor. And Paul says that they were begging him. Paul, take this money. I know we're poor. We can't afford the rent. We can't afford utilities. We can't afford groceries. We can't afford these things. But Paul, we beg you. We beg you, Paul, take this money. Take this money, Paul. Because what the Macedonians were doing, the saints in Macedonia, what they were doing was freely giving. Freely giving. No compulsion. They weren't compelled in and say, okay, I'm gonna go to I'm gonna go to Corinth, you guys. So let me see here. I need about let me see. I gotta do this. I gotta pay for the taxis, and you know, I'm gonna get a, a motorcycle so I can have fun, you know, around the dirt roads, and I can have some fun. And you know, I wanna eat at the nicest hotels. I wanna stay in the nicest hotels, eat at the fanciest of restaurants. So hmm, let me see. Okay, Macedonians, I need twenty thousand dollars. I'm going to be in Corinth for a couple days and I need $20,000. No, he didn't do that. Far be it from him. Why? Because he's a servant of the Lord. A servant of the Lord. Where did the Lord have to, to lay his head? Where is it that the Lord had to lay his head? You see? He says to the church in Corinth, the remnant of Corinth in verse 9, what I lacked the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And we read, we studied what the Macedonian saints, the poor saints did. They begged Paul, Paul, take this money, take this money, take this money. We beg you, Paul, take it. It's organic. No compulsion. Paul didn't compel them. And he desires to preach the word of God, preach the gospel and teach free of charge. Yes, absolutely. He has a right to charge. And be, you know, an ox is worthy of his wages. Yes, he has, I shouldn't say charge, but to earn income from teaching. But in denial of self, he rejects those things. And he even drives the point home with the Corinthian saints by saying in verse 9, And in everything, I kept myself from being burdensome to you. I kept myself from being burdensome to you. And so I will keep myself. You see? I wonder how many Christians in Corinth, remember this, we're six years deep from the founding of the church. We're six years in. And I wonder how many saints, when Paul was with them, said, Paul, go ahead, you know, stay in my house. Stay in my house, Paul. We got a room for you. Got the nice pillows, got the nice blankets. Nice and warm, nice and cool. Got nice food. You know, Paul, you need a meal here? Come on, have dinner with us, Paul. Uh, Paul, you, where, where are you going to be? You're going to be near my house in the morning? Come on, let's have breakfast. Hey, Paul, let me take you out for breakfast. Brother Paul, we love you so much. You know, good sermon last night. Hey, let me buy you some lunch. And I'm in, I wonder how many times Paul rejected. Oh, no, it's okay. That's okay. No dinner, it's okay. No breakfast, it's okay. No, I know you got a nice pillow. You got the, you know, the uh, nice pillows, nice blankets, and it's nice and cozy. But no, no, thank you. That's okay. I love you, brother. I love you, sister. But no, thank you. 
I wonder how many times Paul rejected an offer, but yet people might think like, oh, what was Paul? He, you know, he, why did he do that? Why did he do that? I wonder how many saints here, six years in, are shocked to read verse 9. Shocked, completely, utterly shocked to read verse 9. Because Paul reveals, when I was present with you, when I was present with you and in need, yes, I could have used some money. Yes, I could have used some food. Yes, I could have used some clothing. But I was a burden to no one. I was a burden to no one. And he even says at the last part of verse 9, and in everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you. I don't want to be a burden to you. I don't want to come into your house and raid your fridge. I don't want the food. I know you got in the nice comfy pillows, but I don't want that. I don't want that. I know you got your, you, you, you cook a nice breakfast, but no thank you. Is Paul being mean? Not at all. Not at all. I wonder what the prayer life of Paul was like. I'm not going to stay with you guys, but you know, I'm just going to be over here. I don't know where he's, maybe he slept outside. I don't know. His own, you know, in summer, some, you know, he stayed with Priscilla and Aquila for a time, but I don't know if there were nights, maybe he stayed outside. I don't know if you, but yet there was the denial. I don't want your stuff, guys. I'm not going to raid your fridge. I don't want you to make a nice meal for me. I don't want to have the dinners. I don't want to, you know, here I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm in all different towns and here I am in Corinth. I don't want to be a burden to you. And I keep myself from being burdensome to you. Yes, I love you, but I keep myself from being burdensome to you. Do you remember what Paul says? Oh, Paul's so mean. Why would he reject these things? Do you remember what he said in verse 2? Regarding his jealousy? The desire of his heart? To present the saints as a chaste virgin to Christ. A chaste virgin to Christ. Clean, pure, innocent, and a perfect maiden to Christ. Oh, Paul, come have dinner with us. Come have dinner with us. No, no, that's okay. I love you and I know you cook well, but no, no, that's for you. That's for your family. That's for you guys. Oh, Paul, 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 come stay with us. I know you're, come stay with us. We got a nice room. We'll, we'll make it nice and neat for you. No, 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 that's okay. That's okay. You know, have fun. Make that your prayer room for your family. You guys stay in there and you pray. And Paul leaves. I wonder what the people were, the families, oh man, was it something we said? Does Paul hate us? And then Paul goes with his little bubble. Paul goes off and he's on his face before the Lord, praying, praying for each individual saint, praying for their homes. Because remember, his desire is that he may present the saints as a chaste virgin to Christ. Paul exposes his need. I wonder how many people were shocked to read verse 9. Wow, I thought Paul, I thought Paul just shunned me. I thought Paul just blew me over. I thought Paul just, you know, said, I don't know what was happening, but I thought this. I offered him this and he said no. I offered him this, he said no. 
Very powerful. When you see the heart of Paul, I don't want your money. I don't want your money, he says. Yeah, I know you got a night, you know, you got this, you got that, and breakfast, dinner, lunch, you got, you know, but no. No. But what do we see in the Macedonian church? Remember, they were begging Paul. I wonder how many times Paul said no to them. And yet they were begging Paul, Paul, take this. We beg you, we beg you, we beg you, Paul, take this. The poor saints in Macedonia. Finally, Paul relents. Okay, guys. But I wonder if in accepting those funds for the work of the ministry from the Macedonians, I wonder if Paul had tears of joy. Why? Because it's organic. He didn't compel the saints to do anything except listen to his words. Because he was pouring into them. And the work of the Spirit, brick by brick by brick by brick, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, brick by brick by brick. Do you see what the Lord built inside of the Macedonian saints? Pastors, pastors today give guilt trips to the saints of the Lord. The sheep, the lambs of the Lord, not your sheep, not your lambs, pastor. They belong to the Lord. You're a steward. You're supposed to be a shepherd unto him, the good shepherd. Are you found wanting, pastor? If so, you need to repent. You need to repent. And you need to feed the flock. You need to feed God's sheep and his lambs. Compel them to do absolutely nothing because the Holy Spirit will grow brick by brick by brick and build brick by brick by brick in his field. You see, you plant, you water, but it's God who brings the increase. I can't tell you how many times I've heard pastors, well, you know, all the, the Lord put this on my heart. We're going to have a new church building on this side of town. It's going to be really nice. Oh, by the way, my office is going to look like this. And we're going to have a little parsonage over here, a place for my family to live. And it's going to be nice. And, you know, I have a little garage so I can park my little my cars here so that I can go and preach the gospel. They use all these, you know, they speak Christian, they speak Christianese. So I can go, you know, preach the gospel and sow these seeds. And I'm going to get a little private jet. I want to be near the airport so I can have a little private jet and do these things. And that's what the Lord put on my heart. And if you want to be a part of what the Lord is doing, you'll sow these seeds. And, you know, you write your checks for a hundred bucks. You'll tithe and offer a thousand bucks. And, you know, if you're in business, you'll tithe $10,000 and you'll do this. And stupid, foolish pastor so-called pastor, I would say a hireling, foolishness. Look at Paul. A little secondary message for pastors. If you're not a pastor, please cover your ears. And here's my message to pastors. Suck it up. Suck it up, pastor. Look at Paul. Look at Paul. Yeah, he was in need. 
Whether it be money, food, clothing, yes, he was in need. The Macedonians, the poor, the poor saints. Paul even says of the Macedonian saints, their deep poverty. It's not just that they were poor. They were like super duper poor. And Paul says, yet in their deep poverty, they begged him, Paul, take this money. Take this money for the work of the saints. And Paul, I wonder if his tears were tears of absolute joy, absolute bliss, because beyond a shadow of a doubt, he could rejoice and praise the Lord at the work that he, the Lord, has done in the lives of the Macedonians. No compulsion whatsoever. None. I don't want your money. I don't want your stuff. I know you got the nice pillows, the nice blankets. I know you have this nice room and I know you welcome me there, but I don't want it, Corinth. Paul, take this money. The Macedonians, Paul, take this money. I don't want it, Macedonians. You keep it. But Paul, we beg you, we beg you, please take it. You see, Paul was straight up all about the Lord's business. Not his business, was special tax advantages, special tax write-offs for the clergy, pastor. You see, no compulsion whatsoever. You know, people might call you a do-nothing pastor. Oh, you're such a do-nothing pastor. You don't do this. You don't do that. They might call you a do-nothing pastor. On one regard, you can rejoice. In one regard, you can also be sorrow. Not for you, but for them. Because they do not understand your desire. Oh, you're a do-nothing pastor. You don't do this. You don't do that. All you do is teach. All you do is sit there and teach. All you do is stand there and teach. You're such a do-nothing pastor. Where's the compulsion? Praise the Lord that there's no compulsion. But yet Paul reveals his heart in verse 2. To betroth you to one husband. One husband. His name is Jesus Christ that I may present you as a chaste virgin to him. Paul even reiterates his desire in verse 9 by saying, In everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. You see? A lot of pastors like to get in the way of the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, look at these results. Look at these results. Look at this fruit. Look at this fruit. But real fruit of the Spirit endures. And I'll say something. Results. Anybody can get results. Results are not fruit of the Spirit. That is a work that the Lord does inside, of a, inside the heart of a man, inside the heart of a woman, inside the heart of an old guy, of an old lady, a young person, young guy, young kid, young boy, young girl. That is the work that the Lord does inside of the heart. Pastor, you can't go in the heart. But Jesus Christ can. The Holy Spirit can. 
That is a work that the Lord does inside of a heart. It's very personal. And when the Lord does that work inside of a heart, I have another message for you, pastors. If you're not a pastor, close your ears for a moment. Butt out. It's very personal. The Lord into a heart. The Lord unto a heart and into a heart. A person who presents his or her life as a living sacrifice. That is so holy. So, so, so holy. Stay out of the way, pastors. Paul says this in verse 10, As the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me in this boasting in the regions of Achaia. I love it. I'm so in love with Paul. No one's going to stop me. No one's going to stop me. Yeah, you know, hey, remnant, uh, bear with me in a little folly. Bear with me in a little folly. I'm going to expose my phobia to you, remnant of Corinth. And my phobia is that as the serpent deceived Eve, a preacher guy is going to come in presenting another Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel. And my fear, remnant, is that you might even put up with it. You see? And yeah, you know, I didn't want to be a burden to you. I didn't want to be. I kept myself from being burdensome to you. And I will keep myself from being burdensome to you. I don't want, you know, the special room you have, the blankets, the pillow, the food. I don't want to raid your fridge. You have this dinner. I don't want the dinner. You have this breakfast. I don't want the breakfast. You make the meanest sandwich. I don't want the sandwich. I want your heart. And I want to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. That's my desire. And as the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me. I like Paul. No one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Verse 11, why? Because I do not love you, question mark. I do not love you. Is that why? God knows, exclamation point. You know what the saints in Corinth don't see? The Corinthians don't see Paul's knees, his callous knees, his bruised knees, his cut knees. They don't see that. They don't see his tears. They don't see his, they don't hear his cries unto the Lord. You see, even though they, Paul and his bubble, they've been thoroughly manifested to the saints of Corinth. They don't see the cuts in his knees. They don't see the bruises in his knees. He's on his face before the Lord, interceding, praying, making his supplications known praying for the saints, praying for the churches. You see? Oh, that Paul's not loving. I, I invited him over for dinner and he said, no, look, he hates me. He's not loving. Oh, look, Paul needed a place to stay. I saw him. They were, you know, sleeping in the field and I said, Paul, come stay with me. He said, no. Oh, he's so mean. Is he mean? Do I not love you? God knows. The saints at home sleeping all nice in their beds, all comfy in their beds. And Paul, in the field, in the field sleeping? No, on his face before the Lord, praying for the saints to be sleeping in peace. 
And who's with them? Timothy, Titus, learning. Learning from Paul. Wow, Paul. I'm going to do this too when I'm a pastor. All the saints, they said, hey, Paul, come stay with us. Come stay with us. Paul said no. Why did he say no? Hey, Titus, why did Paul say no? I don't know, Timothy. But he said no to this guy. He said no to this lady. He said no to this old guy. He said no to this old lady. But look at him now. Look, he's in the field over there. And he's on his face before the Lord. Listen, if we listen, we can hear him. We can hear his praise, his prayers. And he's praying for those homes. He's praying over those homes for protection, for peace. Wow. I'm going to do that too when I'm a pastor. Oh, good call, Timothy. Hey, Titus, let's get a head start. Let's lay next to Paul. Let's lay next to Paul and join him in prayer. You see, not just the next generation of righteousness, which is beautiful. The next generation of leadership, pastors, you see, caring for the saints, feeding the saints, feeding the lambs, feeding the sheep and protecting the sheep. In order for protecting the sheep, you know what pastors have to do? Kill the wolves. I speak metaphysically because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But just as we studied last week, in verse 3, chapter 10, verse 3, 2 Corinthians, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, which is a military term. We do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, which heavy emphasis on how this translates in this military campaign, it's to violently destroy and demolish strongholds. To violently destroy and demolish strongholds, fortifications, castles, and arguments. That's the weapons of our warfare. Hey, Titus. What's up, Timothy? Let's go join Paul. Let's lay prostrate before the Lord and let's join him in prayer. The next generation of pastoral leadership. You see? Denial of self. For Paul to say, no thanks, I don't want your money, I don't want, I don't want your money, I don't want, you know, I, I, I don't want the food, I don't want your, your dinner, I don't want your lunch. I know I've heard you make mean sandwiches, but I don't want it. I heard you made mean chili, but I don't want it. Thank you for your offer, but no thank you. Thank you for your offer, it, you know, it, it, to sleep here on this nice comfy bed would be nice, but no thank you. Oh, Paul's so mean. He hates us. He hates us. No. He's fighting. He's destroying strongholds, which are coming. You know what the Satanists do? The Luciferians? You know, since we're on the topic of spiritual warfare, they pray for neighborhoods. They pray for neighborhoods to Satan, to Lucifer. And they pray for all kinds of evil, all kinds of ruin to come into neighborhoods, into families, into households. That's what they do. Certain time periods of the year, which you see abductions are on the rise because these abductions, they kidnap children because they kidnap children and they kill children. They sacrifice the children as an offering to Lucifer. That's what they do. That's what they do. 
They take pictures of kids. They identify all these things. So, you know, somebody says, okay, I want child number two, three, four. I want child number eight, nine, four. They, they, they say these things and then they hire the, they don't hire. They already have them. They, they have the kidnappers. They kidnap them and they do the sacrifice. That's, just, that's what happens. That's what the Luciferians do. An offering to Satan. They do it with animals. They do it to cats. People, you know, you see like you hear in the news, a cat was decapitated or a horse was decapitated. A cow, a cow was decapitated. A sheep were decapitated. No, it's the Satanists. It's the Luciferians. They're making their offers to Satan. That's what they do. They do it to children and they kidnap these children. And what they do is they kidnap the children and they torture the children. And they tell the children, pray to Jesus. And so the children, they pray to Jesus and they make, they intensify the torture. They make the torture even worse. And then they tell the children, Hey, children, pray to Satan, pray to Lucifer. And so the children pray to Lucifer and all of a sudden they stop the torture. And then you have the next generation of Luciferians. That's what they do. That's what happens. Ooh. We're studying the Bible. Why do you have to mention that? Well, we're on the topic of spiritual warfare. We're on the topic of spiritual warfare. And I don't speak to babies. I speak to this remnant of these last days. This is what the Luciferians do today. I teach from America. It's happening in America. But it's happening all over the world. Europe, the Middle East, China, Russia, it's happening all over the world. South America, Central America, it's happening. And Satan knows his time is short and he's going to amp up his attacks. You see? And the Luciferians, Satanists, they're amping up their attacks. And the Christians are sound asleep. Sound asleep. But that's what the Luciferians do. You know, sometimes parents say, oh yeah, I was at the park and this guy came to me and gave me his, gave me his card. He says like, my, my little daughter is cute and he's a photographer and he wants to, he, he, she could be a model and be like, you know, the next Gerber baby or my little son, he could be the next Gerber baby. You know what's happening? The Satanists are profiling you. The Luciferians are profiling your children. That's what's happening. So they can kidnap them, kill them and torture. That's what's happening all, all over America, all over Europe. Oh, don't talk like that. Don't talk like that. We're on the topic of spiritual warfare. You see? And pastors, pastors want to go online and download a sermon, a sermon that's more of a movie script. And they download the, the sermon. They say, okay, let's open up your Bible here. I'm going to teach this. And, and it has little cues, when to laugh, when to say this joke. And all they do is they don't study the Bible. They don't read the Bible. They don't study the Bible. But yet they'll download these sermons. That's why. Have you ever listened to like a pastor number one and pastor number two? And it's the exact same speech. The exact same speech. Well, the reason why is because those, those are the downloaders. They download their message. They're posers. Fakers. You see, they like the accolades. But are they on their face before the Lord protecting you from the wiles of the devil? Are they on their face before the Lord protecting you from the attacks of the enemy? I guarantee you, no way. 
No way. They're out in private doing their drugs, doing their sex, doing their alcohol, going to the strip clubs, going to the gambling places, doing all these sick, disgusting things. And I speak of pastors. Sick, 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 disgusting things. Got some sick puppies out there. You see? I don't know about you, but if I were going to go to war and combat, straight up hardcore combat, I'd want to be taught by somebody who knows his stuff. Me, that's just me, me personally. I don't want to be taught by the sleepy guy. You see? Because I'll die in combat. It'll be a risk to go into combat if I was a student of the stupid guy. The same thing applies to faith. And it's going to get worse. In these last days, Satan is going to amplify his attacks. It's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. See? Look what happens here. In verse 12, But what I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off. I love this because Paul's not stopping. Paul's not stopping. I'm going to, I'm going to, I do this, but I'm going to continue to do this. That I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are. You see, oh, Paul's a teacher. I'm a teacher too. Paul's a teacher and I'm a teacher too. Come on, let's go do crack. Oh, Paul's a teacher. I'm a teacher too. Come on, let's go gambling. Let's go to the casino. Paul's a teacher. I'm a teacher too. Come on, let's go do the sex. Let's go do, let's go to the strip club. Fools. Fools. They want to be regarded just like Paul and his bubble, the, the next generation of pastors, the little Timmies, the little uh, uh, Tituses. No. Paul's bubble is special. It's holy. Remember, he's a pattern. The Lord has these people as patterns. Yes, Timothy's a pattern. Cephas, Apollos, pattern. Paul, pattern. Barnabas, pattern. Philip, pattern. You see, all these beautiful people. Lydia, Priscilla, Aquila, pattern. You see, but the posers, they're posers. They're not a pattern. And yet Paul says they want to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. They boast of things in which they do not understand. He says this in verse 13, for such are false apostles, pseudo apostolos, false apostles, pretender, pretender preachers. That's how it translates. They're pretenders. Deceitful workers translates as guileful workers, which is to be clever at attaining through deception. Have you ever met people like that? I mean, I don't want to be carnal in saying it like this, but, you know, I, I always think of like the works of Satan as like a pimp. You know, like a pimp, they promise this, they promise that, and then the female gets sucked into that lifestyle and it's just complete and total destruction. You see, clever at attaining through deception. You see, people who tell you what you want to hear. Oh, yeah, you know, you're going to get this, you're going to get that, and I'll do this, and I'll do that. And then like a year later, you're in complete and total ruin because you were deceived. The same thing happens in faith. 
The same thing happens in our walk with the Lord. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ, messengers of Christ. You see, babies, adolescents, they cannot discern these deep spiritual things. People who are not Bereans, they cannot discern these things Truth needs to be known and not just known. Truth needs to be understood because babies cannot understand these things. Adolescents in Christ cannot cannot understand these things. But the mature, the mature can. Because remember, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. That's verse 3. And he enters, he comes, he who comes preaches another Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel. And he says to the Corinthian saints in verse 4, you may well put up with it, guys. You may well put up with this. In verse 13, these people are the false apostles, the pseudo-apostolos, the pretender preachers. Have you ever met a pretender preacher? Oh, I know the Bible, I know the Bible, I know Genesis all the way to Revelation, I know these things, I know the Greek, I know the Aramaic, I know the Hebrew, I know all these things, you know, I I study all these things, and I went to Bible college, I knew this, I knew that. Meanwhile, he's a crackhead. Meanwhile, he's doing his sex and his drugs and his gambling, his occult, and does the Ouija boards and does all these things. And meanwhile, the family's a mess and the wife's a mess being tossed to and fro by all kinds of different doctrines. Oh, but I'm a preacher. I'm a preacher. They might even say, I'm a messenger of Christ. I'm an apostle of Christ. In verse 13, says that they transform themselves into apostles of Christ. Not a transformation of the Lord. Not a transformation of the Holy Spirit. A transformation, yes, but not holy. They transform themselves into apostles of Christ. They have the appearance of an apostle. Oh, this guy's so nice. Oh, this guy's a preacher. Okay, okay, I completely understand. Okay, he's a preacher, he's a nice guy. Let me hear what he's saying. Let me hear what he's saying. Oh, look, he says this, which is biblically true. Okay. What else does he say? Oh, he says that I can take the mark of the beast and I'll still be saved. But that's just, don't don't worry about that. That's just something minor. Minor? That's minor? Oh, but look, this guy, he doesn't really teach the Bible. He just teach, We read one verse and then he goes off and teaches all these things. He expounds on this one verse. And, you know, he's hey, look, he does so much good in the community. Look, he feeds the homeless. He does all this good in the community. And then after church, we have this nice lunch. And then we go lay on graves because he says that the Holy Spirit is coming from these dead people and that he, the Holy Spirit can soak into, inside of us. Oh, but he's a nice guy. He's a preacher guy. What? What? Do you remember in our study through 1 Corinthians, how many times did you hear us say how dangerous it is to be a baby? Because babies don't understand these things. These things. Babies don't understand these things of deep spiritual warfare. 
People who transform themselves, not a holy transformation, an unholy transformation, a wicked transformation, an evil transformation. They have the appearance as an apostle. They have an appearance as a, as a worker of the Lord. They have an appearance as the, the preacher guy. But what do they present? A different Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel, deceitful workers. But yet verse 14 says it all and no wonder exclamation point why should we be surprised no wonder exclamation point for satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light you see first john chapter 4 verse 1 says do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see if they are of god or not you know how many people christians do not do this oh but the lord is calling me over here Oh, the Lord wants me to do this. The Lord wants me to go over here. The Lord wants me to do this and that and this. Did you test the spirits? No, it was the Lord. How do you know? I don't know. You see, babies need to understand. Adolescents need to understand and study the word of God. But a lot of times you have babies going into ministry, which is very dangerous. And in a lot of time, in a lot of cases, majority of cases, it's an attack. It's an attack. Because somebody says, oh, look, the Lord is calling me to go minister to these prostitutes. Surely the, 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 the Lord wants these prostitutes to be saved. Absolutely. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But you say the Lord has called you to serve and to minister to these prostitutes? And then all of a sudden, look, you're a pastor, I'm a pastor, I'm a pastor, and I'm going to go minister to these prostitutes. Or I'm a pastor, and I'm a pastor, and I'm going to go minister to these drug people. Surely the Lord wants these drug people to be saved. Absolutely. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to Jesus Christ. Absolutely true. But how do you know if it's not an attack? How do you know if it's Satan who's calling you? How do you know? Oh, I know the Bible left and right. I know the Genesis, the Revelation. I know the Bible. You know, don't come at me with that. I know the Bible like crazy. I know the Hebrew. I know the Aramaic. I know the Greek. I know all these things. Okay, that's nice. Do you apply them to your life? Because I can have a conversation with your wife and she's going to tell me you're crazy. I can have a conversation with your kids and they're going to tell me that you're crazy. Do you apply the things that you that you tell me you know? Do you apply those things in your life? Oh, but the Lord is calling me to minister to these prostitutes, to these drug people. Okay. Wisdom will laugh. Wisdom will laugh at your destruction. And wisdom does laugh in these last days. You see, it's an attack. It's an attack. Satan is a fisherman too. Never forget that. Satan is a fisherman too. Oh, I'm going to present myself as an angel of light. And this guy, he says he knows the Bible, but he's unsuspecting. Look, I got him over here. He, look, I, I want him to do the sex and he does the sex. I want him to go uh, worship the, uh, the, the Buddhas and he worships the Buddhas. I, I want him to do this, the drugs, he does it. I want him to do the sex, he does it. He says he's a servant of the Lord, but no, he's a servant of Satan. And so I'm going to present myself as an angel of light and call him into this drug ministry, into this prostitution ministry, this ministry over here, this ministry over there. And the whole time it's an attack. Hook, 
line and sinker, you took the bait. You see? And so what happens? Instead of prostitutes coming to Christ, you become a customer. Instead of the drug people coming to Christ, you become a customer. And the name of Jesus Christ is run through the mud because the people see what he's a pastor he's a pastor and he's having sex with the youth group with the girls of the youth group what he's a pastor and he becomes a distributor of these drugs he's now a drug dealer what look at the name of christ being dragged through the mud the name of the lord is shamed instead of bringing glory to the lord shame is brought to the lord it's an attack of satan Oh, but nobody wants to test the spirits. Look, the Lord is calling me over here. The Lord is calling me over there. Test the spirits. Test the spirits. No wonder, exclamation point in verse 14, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing. It's not a big deal. Why should it be a surprise? It is no great thing if his ministers, very interesting, understand that God has servants, but Satan also has servants. It is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. So what do we see here in verse 15? We see ministers of righteousness, so-called ministers of righteousness. They have an appearance of a minister of righteousness. In, in verse uh, 13, they have the appearance as an apostle of Christ. They have an appearance of being a worker. In verse 4, they have a difference of being a preacher. They have the appearance of being a preacher. With carnal eyes, they look like a preacher. They look like an apostle. They look like a worker. They look like ministers of righteousness in verse 15. With carnal eyes, they look like these things. They look like they're on the good side. But what does the Bible say here? They're servants of Satan. And they transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. Very interesting how we see transform themselves. Because it's not a holy transformation. It's not that of the Holy Spirit. It is entirely satanic. And Paul says here, whose end will be according to their works. You see? Anything God is for, Satan is against. Anything God loves, Satan hates. Anything God saves, Satan attempts to destroy. And yet, we read the Word of God, we study the Word of God, as the Bible says, showing ourselves approved. But you know this aspect you hear us say from time to time to roll around on the mat? I don't say that for the sake of rolling around on the mat. I'm talking about hand-to-hand -hand combat. Affix bayonets. We learn how to fight. Equipped for the work of the ministry. You see, oh, you're too hardcore. That's so mean. You're too hardcore. How can you say it like that? You see? Satan knows his time is short. He's going to amplify his attacks. Well, you scare me. How do you, why do you talk about Luciferians abducting kids? Why do you talk about this child sacrifice? Why do you, it's happening. It's happening. 
You know, we read the book of Acts, we study the book of Acts, and you see defense and offense. How many times, do you remember how many times we said defense and offense? We look at a defensive posture, we look at an offensive posture. But at the same time, in studying the book of Acts, what do we see? We see spiritual warfare, deep spiritual warfare. Remember the sons of Siva? When the demon says, Jesus, I know, Paul, I know, but who in the world are you guys? And they were overtaken, overcome by the demonic spirit. You don't have to go to the fight. You don't have to seek the fight because the fight is going to come to your door. The fight is going to come up to your face. Will you be ready? Are you ready? You see? In verse 16, I say it, I say again, let no one think me a fool. And this is so beautiful. Remember, this word is egotistical and stupid. Let no one think me this way. And he says, if otherwise, at least receive me as a fool. But remember what he said last week when we studied this in chapter 10, verse 10. This is what these people were saying about Paul. For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful. But his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Oh, he's just a little guy. In person, he's nothing. He says these things in letters and it's just like, he, he sounds like he's weighty and powerful, but... Eh, he's nothing. Why should we heed the voice of Paul? Why should we heed what he says? You see, you have this element of the flesh among the remnant. What is the remnant to do? It's almost like this remnant of Corinth, more mature, yes. It's almost like there's this opportunity for the flesh, for the church to become like a 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where the remnant has to be separated from the carnal nature again, from the leaven. But this happens all the time. The attacks will come all the time. You will have to fight. All the time. All the time. Understand, we're reading, we've been studying the letters of Paul. And you see this intertwining, this overlap in our study in the book of Acts. And we see, okay, this is like Acts 18 through 22 time frame. But at the same time, Paul is also engaging in warfare spiritually, but in the flesh and what he's facing in the book of Acts, the things that he's facing, but also exhorting the church in Galatia, in Ephesus, the Philippian saints. You see, these attacks will come at all, every single time, every single moment. And you see Paul engaging in warfare and his bubble, engaging in warfare, yes, in Corinth, the first you know, the, the, the first letter to the church in Corinth, the second letter to the church in Corinth. But understand this overlap in our study in the book of Acts. We also see, wow, he's also engaging in war in Galatia, in Ephesus, in, all over. And then waking up in the morning, making tents. In the afternoon, going to synagogue. We invite him over for dinner. He says no. Does he hate the saints? Does he hate the... No, he's dying for the saints. He's dying for the flock. He's dying for the sheep. He's dying for the lambs. He is crucified with Christ. 
You see? He says in verse 16, Let no one think me a fool, if otherwise at least receive me a fool, receive me as a fool, that I might boast a little, just a little bit of boast. Remember, he says, Bear with me a little folly. Now he's saying, I'm going to boast a little bit. He says in verse 17, What I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were, foolishly in this confidence of boasting. This is so beautiful because, you know, surprise, Paul, this is captured in the canon of Scripture. He says, I speak not according to the Lord, but the Lord, surprise, Paul, I'm going to put that in, in the Bible. Just like, remember Amos, I'm no prophet nor the son of a prophet. You know, proclaiming, I'm no prophet nor the son of a prophet. Surprise, Paul, or surprise, Amos, you're a prophet. I love that so much. God's servants. He says in verse 18, seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I also will boast. Now, is Paul in the wrong here? Not at all. Remember, he's speaking to the Corinthians. Okay, Corinthians, you want to be like babies? You want to behave like babies and refuse to grow up? Remember what was happening, the, the uh, arrested development in 1 Corinthians that they want they didn't want to grow up? You want to be like that? You want to continue like that? We're six years deep and you want to regress and go back? Okay, if seeing that many boast according to the flesh, you know what? I'm going to do that too. I'm going to do that too. He says in verse 19, For you put up with fools gladly. You put up with fools gladly. Remember the defunct pastors and the defunct elders we mentioned all the time in 1 Corinthians. The defunct, yes, it came at a heavy price. But Paul is saying, listen, put up with them no more. When this defunctness arises in the pastor, in the elder, in the preacher, in this so-called minister of light or the minister of righteousness. He might be a minister of Satan, a servant of Satan. He calls himself a servant of God, but he might be a servant of Satan. You see? In verse 20, he says, you put up with it. If one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face, you see? You might say, well, wait a second, God's, you know, God is love and he says to turn the other cheek. So what if they strike us on the face? So what if they strike me on the face? It's biblically true to turn the other cheek. But don't forget the, it is also written. We're not called to be stupid. We're not called to be stupid. So many times people, okay, I'm going to turn the other cheek. Okay, praise the Lord, turn the other cheek. But I'm going to do it again and again and again and again and again and again and again. All of a sudden, I'm going to be black and blue in the spirit. Not from a minister of the Lord, but from that of Satan. It's an attack. Now you see even the added beauty of separation. The leaven departing away from the remnant. You see? Just like uh, 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 verse 13 says, remember the false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. Also in verse 4, for if he who comes preaches another Jesus, the preacher guy. In verse 15, ministers of Satan. 
And now look, verse 20. Look at what they do. And you put up with it. They bring you into bondage. They devour you. They take from you. I didn't take from you, Corinth. And they take from you. They exalt themselves. They strike you on the face. He says in verse 21, remember, he says you know, in, in verse uh, 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 16, you know, at least receive me as, I fool, as, as a fool that I may boast a little. But he says in verse 21, to our shame. I say that we were too weak for that exclamation point because if that's all it took, if that's all it took, okay, Corinthian saints, you put up with it. This guy does this. But if that's all it took for you to endure his teaching, to our shame because to our shame because we were too weak for that i don't want to bring you into bondage he's saying i don't, I don't want to devour you i don't want to take from you i don't want to exalt myself i don't want to strike you on the face but if that's what it took remember he says bear with me in little folly but if that's what it took for you to endure if my teaching could stay with you beyond, we're six years deep, and if my teaching can stay with you beyond six years, if that's what it takes, not to suggest that Paul would do that. Remember, he says, I speak as a fool. He's, he says, bear with me in this folly. His fear in verse 4 is that they may well put up with it. He says in verse 21, to our shame, I say that we are too weak for that. But in what in whatever any anyone is bold, I speak foolishly. I am bold also. Are they Hebrews in verse 22? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more Remember, bear with me in little folly. He even emphasizes it by saying here in verse 16, let no one think me a fool. Emphasize it again by saying that I may boast a little. Emphasize it again in, 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 in verse uh, uh, 17, referencing his own foolishness. In verse 18, emphasizing his own boasting. In verse 21, I speak foolishly. And in verse 23, I speak as a fool. I am more. Paul is revealing himself. You see, not just his humanity, but in revealing his humanity, you see his heart. Remember his heart. That in verse 2, I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. His motives are pure because he wants the saints to be presented to Jesus Christ as a maiden who is clean, pure, innocent, and perfect, ready for her marriage unto the bridegroom. How many times do you hear us say to pastors? Get very comfortable with the idea of yourself being a eunuch of the master, of the king preparing his bride for the marriage. You see? Preparation for her to be clean, pure, innocent, and perfect. Paul says, are they ministers of Christ? In verse 23, I speak as a fool, I am more. 
in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Now, don't forget his Roman stripes too. Don't forget his Roman stripes as well. Turn with me really quick to Acts 16. Acts 16. A little refresher course because we studied this already. But in Acts 16, we see in verse 16, Acts 16, verse 16, Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by, by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days, but Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But, but when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on remember, he Paul says in Second Corinthians, he's referencing the stripes of the Jews, and now there's the stripes of Rome. In verse 23, and when they laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. In the stocks. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians. You know what's interesting about this reference to Acts 16, the, 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 the stripes and the stocks of Rome? In that passage... We see fights, one's spiritual and one's carnal. The one that was spiritual, they fought in the spirit with the girl who was demon-possessed. The weapons of warfare which were carnal are not carnal. They fought the messengers of Christ. They fought. But in accordance to Adam, with eyes of flesh, they look defeated because they're taken into prison. The stocks are put onto them. They took it. They took it. In Christ, they fought. But in the ways of Adam, they're bound. You see? It's, we make this distinction. The Lord does the work inside of us first. And then he does the work through us. When we reckon the old man dead, the old woman dead, we crucify the flesh. And we're alive in Christ. New wine going into new wineskin. The new wine pours out and the opposition comes. And we see this aspect of warfare in Acts 16, this Acts 16, verse 16 through 24, we see the fight in the spirit. But then we see a little fight in the flesh. In the flesh, they're bound. 
seemingly lost the fight. But did they lose the fight? No way. But in the spirit, the demon came out. There's this aspect of warfare, spiritual warfare, which many Christians don't understand. They don't get, make the distinction between Adam and Christ. Make the distinction between spirit and flesh. Because you have Christians today, they want to go to war. Oh, I have my rights. I have my rights. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do that. Wait a second. Hold on. Make this distinction between Adam and Christ. Make this distinction between spirit and flesh. Because the events of the last days are no joke. Those who lead into captivity will go into captivity. It is prophesied. It is prophesied. And the sheep need to be fed. They need to be cared for. Sometimes I get pushback. From the in the pastor community, I have these conversations with pastors, and through the ether, people contact. Them. Well, wait a second, why? Why is it that you say to uh, uh, have an underground church model in place? You say that it could be that you never have to use it. It could be that you do have to use it. Why is it that you say that? Because, you know, if the Lord is guiding me here, why do I even have to do this? Why? Why do you say that? Well, understand the human element. Understand the human element. And the prophecies of the great falling away. Because you might have a flock. If you're a pastor, I speak to pastors. You might have a flock and you meet in a fellowship. The church shuts down, which is happening already. And then the government comes and cuts off the internet service providers, cuts off this, cuts off that. And you have no means to uh, do an online service. You have no means to uh, 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 for, for uh, 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 the church to uh, do, make their offerings online. You have everything's being cut off. And so you have these contingency plans in place in preparation for the underground church. And you have this underground church. You say, okay, you know, make a, a landline phone call. Or maybe a face-to-face visit and say, okay, we're going to meet at this time in this location. We're going to meet by this tree in the forest. We're going to meet by this stream bed over here. And then you have secondary church locations because you might have a church of 20 people. And of that 20 people under the great apostasy, the great falling away, two might defect away from truth. And now those two tell the authorities. Now, I teach from America, but these are things that are happening today in Vietnam, in Africa, in Arab countries, in China, Europe, South America, Central America. Slowly but surely, freedoms are being taken away. Oh, but why do you say we need to have this underground model in place? Don't forget the human element. And in this great falling away, Two people might bring the authorities. And that's happening where you have the authorities. They pretend to be Christians. You know, they they they, they pretend to be a non-believer, or they're a non-believer, but they pretend like you know the Christian tells them about Jesus Christ, they you know, in in fulfillment and being obedient to the Lord. You have these Christians who, hey, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. And the person, says, okay, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. They say, Okay, now come to church. We don't meet over here. That's just a shell. That's like a shell company, a shell business. We don't meet over there. But we meet really over here in this person's house at this time or at this date. And here, bring your Bible. And so the person comes, except instead of a Bible, they got their guns. And they got more. And they arrest the pastor. And they burn down the church. 
You see? That's what's happening. Today, it's happening. Don't forget the human element. Don't forget the human element. In countries of major persecution, people say, okay, yeah, you know, I'll become a Christian. I accept Jesus Christ. They say, okay, we're going to meet over here at this person's house. They go to the house, they meet, they all come with their machetes and they chop off everybody's head. It's happening. What they do to the women, I can't even say. What they do to the little boys and little girls, I can't even say. But it's happening. I teach from America. And our freedoms are slowly going away. So yes, have these contingency plans in place. When things go dark, it's like, okay, we we have this church. Okay, things go dark. Okay, we have these online services. Okay, things go dark. Activate contingency one. We're going to meet by this stream. Oh, we're going to meet by this tree. Oh, we're going to meet over here. It's cold out. It's cold out. Okay. Bring your blankets. <laughs> you might have a church of 50 people. Do it, pastor. You might have a church of 20 people. And that 20 in the last days might become 10, might become 8, might become 2. Meeting in a forest. And where two or more are gathered. Who is there in the midst? Jesus Christ. You see? Jesus Christ. With the remnant. Light in Goshen. He says this in verse 25. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. We studied, Remember I was studying the book of Acts and his shipwreck? A night and a day I have been in the deep. Remember Paul says... You might read this back. Well, look, he's boasting. Why in the world is he boasting? He says, I speak as a fool. Yeah, he says, you guys want to boast? Okay, I'm going to do like you. Instead of you doing like me, since you guys refuse to do that, I'm going to do like you. You guys want to boast? Okay, I'm going to boast a little bit too. And by the way, I speak as a fool. In verse 26, in journeys often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils among false brethren. Yes, yes, a brother and or a sister can be false. Remember, verse 15, verse 14, no wonder, no wonder. In verse 15, it is no great thing, you see. This is aspects of spiritual warfare. False brethren, false apostles, false, they look like ministers of righteousness. Preachers, verse 4, preachers. What do they do? They present the false Christ in accordance with another Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel. How many times, remember our study through 1 Corinthians? By what spirit do such people say such things? By what spirit? By what spirit? Because the Holy Spirit guides in the word of God. Genesis to Revelation, that's how the Holy Spirit guides in the word of God. The Holy Spirit will never say, hey, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. The Holy Spirit will never say, hey, let's go grave soaking. The Holy Spirit will never say, God is done with Israel. Never. That's another spirit. That says things, teaches things contrary to the word of God. But the remnant of God 
is fully aware, fully awake. Paul says this in verse 27, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often. I like that. (laughs) Not a lot of sleep for Paul. (laughs) In weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Remember verse 9? Remember verse 9 when he says, you know, when I was present with you and in need? Look at the I'll say it again. I wonder how many Corinthian saints, six years after knowing Paul, knowing Paul for six years, but six years deep, I wonder how many are shocked. Man, Paul was hungry. Paul was hungry. He was thirsty. I invited him for dinner and he refused. He's so mean. He's so mean. No, he's not mean. He says, in fact, he was fasting. He didn't want to tell you. He was fasting. Where's he going to sleep? I heard he was sleeping in this field. He's on his face before the Lord. He might sleep for 20 minutes. He might sleep for an hour. You see, he's not boasting at all. In weariness and toil, in verse 27, in sleeplessness, often in hunger and thirst, in fastings, often in cold and nakedness. But I offered, I told him he could sleep. I got this nice comforter. I got this nice blanket. I told him he could speak here. But Paul says, remember in verse 9, he says, in everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. I don't want to be a burden to you. I don't want to be a burden to you. I want to pour into you. I want to pour into you. Paul is saying to the Corinthian saints, I want to pour into you because one beautiful, glorious day, I want to present you as a chaste virgin to my master, to Jesus Christ. Not the fake Christ that these posers talk about. Not the fake Christ that these posers proclaim in accordance with another spirit. Their mouths must be stopped. That's what he says to to, to Titus. They teach things which they ought not to teach and their mouths must be stopped. That's what pastor says to pastor. You see. In verse 28, besides other things. (laughs) Wow, that's not enough. Like what other things? Oh my goodness. Besides the other things, this, this this is pretty loaded. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep, Concern for all the churches, you see. Where are the pastors? Where are the elders? How many times do you hear us in, in our study in First Corinthians? Where are the pastors? Where are the elders? Why did these things happen? And now that we have the remnant, yes, these things can still happen, but it's even almost worse now because the serpent, the serpent can corrupt the minds. You see, the preacher is going to come in teaching another Jesus. A different spirit, a different gospel. These men who come in, these they look like apostles of Christ. They say they're apostles of Christ. But they transform themselves into apostles of Christ. But they're servants of Satan. You see? And Paul says, what comes upon me daily? My deep concern for the churches. They're not ready. That's his fear. Paul is exposing his fear. 
I don't want them to be not ready, Lord. So what does he do? He continues to teach. He continues to pour. He continues to die for the flock of God. He continues to kill for the flock of God. And I speak supernaturally, killing wolves. What comes upon me daily is my deep concern for all the churches. Where are the pastors of Corinth? Again, where are the pastors of Corinth? Just like in verse in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 4, 5, where were the pastors? Where were the pastors? Here we are in 2 Corinthians. Yes, there's a remnant, but where are the pastors? You see? Where are the elders who will say, not on my watch? I kill wolves. Where are these pastors who protect the sheep? Where are these pastors who will die for the sheep? Where are they? And yet this is Paul's concern. His exposing his phobia, his fear. And not just the fact that the attacks will come. Not just the fact that the serpent will come. Not the fact that Satan will come in the form of these evil ministers. In the form of these uh, uh, apostles of Christ. I'm doing my air quotes. They present themselves as apostles of Christ. But that the Corinthian saints might well put up with it. You see? And this is a deep concern for Paul. In verse 28, or in verse 29, Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to stumble, or translates as enticed to sin, or enter apostasy? Paul says, who is made to stumble? And I do not burn with indignation, he says. Indignation. Now, it's bad that a person is made to stumble, or is made to enter apostasy. Apostasy, yes, that is a bad thing. Absolutely, it is a bad thing. But how does this happen? Who is their pastor? Why did this happen? You see, I can look at pews. And perhaps you can look at pews. And yes, the people in pews do have a responsibility for themselves and their families to obey the word of Lord and the Lord. And that's what I desire. And certainly that's what you desire as well. That's what we desire as a people of the way, the remnant of these last days for Christians to be obedient and abiding in Christ. But where you don't see that, yes, there's an element of blame unto them. But you know who I blame the most? The pastors, the elders, why didn't you teach them, pastor? Why didn't you teach? Why is it that this fellowship, we have 500 people in this church, and why are 500 speaking in tongues? Why is that happening, pastor? Are you not aware of the uh, these attacks, Satan coming in? Are you not aware of the danger of the, uh, 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 of the pneumos being open to the spirit realm? Are you not aware of the dangers of the pneumos? Pastor, you see? Why is it, Pastor, that there's all these works of the flesh? Why is it that nobody likes to say, oh, oh for a safeguard, we want to say we want people to memorize the catechism. That's just a safeguard. How about a better safeguard is you, Pastor, teaching the word of God? Instead of having this little baby memorize a catechism, why don't you have the little baby 
accept Jesus Christ as his or her Lord and Savior, and you teach truth so that the little baby knows don't do crack, don't do sex, don't do drugs, don't do the occult. How about you teach? How about you do your job? If, in fact, the Lord called you into ministry, why don't you try doing your job, pastor, elder? It's Paul's... I'm, I'm just... I'm, I'm following Paul's cue. I speak as a fool. I speak as a fool. Instead of you putting these burdens on the saints, pastor... Why don't you do your job and teach and pour and die? You see? Who is made to stumble, he says in verse 29. Who is enticed to sin or enter apostasy? Who? And Paul says, and I do not burn with indignation. You see, remember, his concern is for the churches. That they might well put up with these satanic entities that come into the church. How is it that the Corinthian remnant, how is it that they can put up with these things again? Because they're not taught. Where are the shepherds? Where are the warriors? You see? In verse 30, if I must boast... I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity or my weakness. I love this so much. Paul said, I don't want to boast. I don't want to boast. But, you know, since you boast, I'm going to boast just a little bit too. Instead of you following me, I'm going to, I'm going to follow your lead. And I speak as a fool in doing it. You know, I, I say these things as a fool because, look, I'm just going to give you an example of me following you. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to lay this out there, church. But then he says, if I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. You see, he's exposing his weakness. He's exposing his. His weakness. <laughs> and his desire in his heart is to present them as a chaste virgin to Christ, his master. That's the desire of his heart. Oh, but Paul's so mean. Look, look what he said. He said this. He said that. And it hurt my little feelers. It hurt my little feelers. Now, remember what Paul says about a, 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 godly, a, a godly sorrow. In, in chapter 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8, Even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, but only the, through, though only for a while, he says. Understanding in verse 10 that godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. You see. And how many times do you remember when we said most Christians don't make it this far? Most Christians don't make it this far. Because imagine Paul today. I don't think Paul would be well received in the church today. They call him crazy. They call him stupid. They call him mean. Oh, how dare you said this to me, Paul? How dare you? So what? It's just a little sex. How dare you say this to me? But so what? It's just a little crack, Paul. God is love. You know, why are you saying this to me, Paul? I don't think Paul would be well received in church in the church today. But look what happens with godly correct. Remember, only the crucified can correct. Only the, no hypocrites. Things of the carnal nature cannot correct. Only the crucified can correct. In verse 11, in chapter 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 11, 
Paul says, observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things, you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Now, most Christians don't make it this far. Why? Because they're offended. They're offended. Another sign of the last days, Matthew 24, verse 10. Another sign of the last days. Everybody's offended. Oh, you hurt my feelers. You hurt my little feelers. But when the crucified correct and you're on the receiving end of those things, this sorrow that is produced, and when it's done in a godly manner, look at what it produces. Look at the fruit and how beautiful it is. What vindication, he says. It's victory, and most Christians today don't make it this far. Why? Because they shun they shun this vessel that comes. Oh, how dare you call me on this? How dare you say I can't have sex with this minor? How dare you say I can't do drugs with this guy? How dare you say I can't go to the strip clubs? How dare you say I shouldn't do crack? I shouldn't do meth? I shouldn't do the occult? I shouldn't worship Mary? I shouldn't worship Buddha? I shouldn't do the uh, uh, the, the, the sun salutation in accordance with uh, uh, yoga? And awaken the kundalini spirit. How dare you say those things to me? Okay. Okay. You see. Babies don't know how to fight. Adolescents don't know how to fight. But it's the adults that do. And I speak in the spirit. Those who are mature in Christ, understanding that these deceitful workers who transform themselves into angels of light, just like Satan does, presenting themselves as apostles of Christ, except they're a danger in the church. What is it that they teach? Oh, let's go grave soaking, guys. Oh, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. Your salvation, you're in good standing with the Lord. God is done with Israel. And eh, no big deal. Huge deal. But babies can't see this. Adolescents can't see this. They're babies. They're adolescents. It's like taking a baby and putting them in calculus. Now, it's not to say that the baby can't do calculus, but the baby needs to grow and mature. And then he or she can do calculus. The same thing applies in the faith. Where are the fighters? Where are the warriors? Where are the pastors? You see? In these last days, the church is asleep. But even that is prophesied. Because the virgins are asleep. When you read Matthew 25, the virgins are asleep. What do I say? Wake up. Wake up, virgins. Wake up. Don't be sleeping anymore. Wake up. And so we see this. In verse 31, in closing, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. Think, think for a moment of what the leaven might have said of Paul. Think for a moment of what the false ministers, Satan's ministers, would say at this. Oh, Paul's so mean. He's crazy. He's talking like this. Look, he says he speaks as a fool. Look, he's boasting. He's boasting. Don't listen to what he says. Listen to what I have to say. Let's let's start doing the law. Let's start doing the works of the law. You want to be a, you want to be a Christian? Okay, you have to be circumcised in accordance to the law. Let's do, let's go back to the Hebrew roots movement. 
Don't listen to this Paul guy. Look, he, he doesn't sleep in your house. He sleeps out in the woods. He sleeps in the field. He says he loves you, but yet you make a nice dinner and he doesn't want it. Don't listen to this Paul guy. Look, you want to do your sex? And he says, don't do that. Oh, he's so mean. Look, let's go back to the law where you can have multiple wives and concubines. Let's go back to the law. Have all the sex you want. Fools. Fools. Now think of the babies. Think of the adolescents, spiritually speaking, who can be easily swayed by such ministers of Satan, servants of Satan. You see? Now you realize the fight is very real. Time to wake up, virgins. Time to wake up. In verse 32, in closing in Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, was under, was guarding the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desiring to arrest me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall. I love it. This is our study in Acts 9. Remember Acts 9 when Paul was let out the window? And escaped from his hands. Now, understand, we make this distinction and you make this distinction between the fight in the spirit and the fight in the flesh. And then wisdom. With wisdom. Always with wisdom. In the flesh, wisdom. You see? In the flesh, always wisdom. But we also seem to forget. We also seem to forget that the flesh must die. We want to preserve this flesh. But the flesh must die. And beautiful in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. You see? One day, one beautiful, glorious day, the mortal will put on immortality and the corrupt will put on incorruption. This concludes our study through 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And next week, Lord willing, we'll come to chapter 12 and near the closure of our study through 2 Corinthians and the admonition, the warnings, and exhortation to the church, the remnant of Corinth. To the beautiful people of the way, God bless you. I love you.